Welcome, family. Welcome. So whether you're online or in-house, you're wanted and needed in this place. Okay, this series leading up to Easter is about looking through the, the cross. Now, we talked specifically last week about what the world looks like through the cross, worldview. And this today, we're looking at what we look like through the cross. In other words, how do we view one another, people view? How does the cross shape my view of my fellow humanity, my fellow human being? Now, if you haven't noticed yet, um, it doesn't take much to get us all bent out of shape in the way that we look at each other. (laughs) It takes very little. Uh, A few years ago, two pastors got in a fight over a doctrinal matter. Wanting to settle the fight, one pastor told the other, look, what are we fighting for? We're we're both striving to do the Lord's work. work. I tell you what, you just keep doing it your way, and I'll keep doing it the Lord's way. (laughs) Seriously, we, we can draw up lines of division at the drop of a hat. It doesn't take anything. But the cross of Christ challenges our human nature to divide and separate. Where people tend to draw lines of exclusion, the cross of Christ literally has God arms as open as he can get them in an inclusive world, and trying to have an inclusive message saying literally, and I if I be lifted and when I am, if and when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw all people to myself, Gentiles as well as Jews. All people. The cross of Christ is colorblind. It's age blind. It's gender blind. It's race blind. The cross of Christ sees past all of our categories of human separation, be it political, philosophical, educational, and every other man-made division bears no weight and has no pull with the cross of Christ. The reality of these differences, especially between Jew and Gentile, in Jesus' day, those divisions were hostile. Now, we struggle with race divisions today and many other human areas of divide. But I dare say, what we experience, I don't think it was as intense as what Jesus experienced in his day. The cross of Christ brought together different cultures and different values and incompatible religious backgrounds. And the trust between Jews and Gentiles was literally non-existent. It wasn't there. And to make matters worse, Jews thought that they were inherently better people. They they thought that they were a superior race. It sounds familiar, World War II, hello? Think about the Jewish attitude that we read in Scripture toward the Samaritan. Scholars think that this term, the uncircumcised, it seems innocent enough to us, but they actually think that that was more likely a racial slur or an ugly insult. But the hostility went beyond, hostility went beyond name-calling or bad attitudes. Some Jews actually believed that God, this is hard for me to say, I read this this week, it's just crazy. 
some Jews actually believed that God created Gentiles to be fuel for the fires of hell. They believed a lie, thinking that God only loved them. And if a Jew married a Gentile, some Jewish sects would actually have a funeral for that Jew that married. If you went into a Gentile's house, you were considered in many Jewish sects as unclean. The people view between Jews and non-Jews, and they, the Jews would clump all other races. If you, if you weren't a Jew, it didn't matter what race you were, you were all clumped into one other race called Gentile. The people view between Jew and Gentile was so toxic, even though this barrier wasn't a physical wall of rock or brick, it was made of something much more hard, much more resilient. That barrier was made of human prejudice, stubbornness, and arrogance, and then it was mortared together with self-righteousness and resentment. You talk about a barrier. And these two people groups that hated one another were now trying to function together in the same spiritual community. That's the background. Can you imagine the tension? That's the background in this word that was given to the church plant in Ephesus. God is now prompting the Apostle Paul to write a word specific to these two people groups in this church. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, the apostle writes, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. God wanted the Jews and the non-Jews in this spiritual community, in this Ephesus church, to start with identifying Jesus as the peacemaker. That's where it has to start, and that's, frankly, where it has to stay. He's the one. Jesus, in the Old Testament, Isaiah would prophesy. You remember that famous passage, For to us a child shall be born, to us a son shall be given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Yeah, Prince of Peace. And Micah, the prophet, would pick it up and say, the one, the Messiah, shall be our peace. So Jesus is not only peace's prince, he's also the one in whom peace resides. It's where peace lives. During World War II, there was a chaplain named Leon Maltby, and he arrived in the island of Biak off of Indonesia to minister to the troops. Well, he put up this 20 by 60 canvas structure to be used as the chapel and then covered the top of it with a big yellow parachute to try to keep things dry. But he wanted to serve the men and women there communion and didn't have anything to hold the wine. So he found some unused 50 caliber bullets 
pulled out the lead and the gunpowder and the firing cap and welded and pressed these castings into the shape of a cup. And after two hours of work, he had 80 little cups made out of these 50-round bullets. And in 1945, Chaplain Maltby sailed into Japan to become the first Protestant chaplain to enter into Japan, enemy territory, right after the war. He befriended a local Japanese pastor, used that same communion set to minister to the people at that small little church. This set is actually on display at Veterans Museum in Daytona Beach, Florida today. And over it is a sign which reads, the pastor clearly understood the significance, the significance of instruments of death becoming a symbol of life. Jesus' body and blood was identified as a peacemaker during a time of war. Enemies now came together in this congregation in Japan to break bread through the cross of Christ. Jesus really is the peacemaker. Notice also that the cross of Christ makes one race, the human race. I'm going to be a bit of a, bit of a Johnny One note on this. I'm going to keep saying that, trying to get that drummed into our heads. The two races, Jewish and everything else, Gentile, are now one. One race. The human race. Paul would also say, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. One race, the human race. Amy Beale died a violent death in 1993. She was a 26-year-old Fulbright scholar who had gone to South Africa to help register black voters for that country's first free election. And even though she was seeking to help the people of South Africa, one day she was driving her car and a mob came around her and she couldn't move and they violently dragged her from her automobile and beat her and stabbed her to death, ironically by a group committed to the overthrow of the apartheid government. Funny, isn't it? In a tragic sort of way. Soon afterward, Amy's parents, Peter and Linda Beale, quit their jobs and moved from Orange County, California, to South Africa, not to seek revenge, but to start a foundation in Amy's name. Two of her killers serve in that foundation. They call Mrs. Beale Makulu, which is an affectionate term of grandmother because of the way she treats them so well. Linda said in an interview, forgiving is looking at ourselves and saying, I don't want to go through life feeling hateful and revengeful because that's not going to do me any good. We took Amy's lead we did what we felt she would want. The cross shows us how to let go of vengeance and embrace forgiveness. 
for the one race, the human race. And the cross of Christ destroys all dividing barriers. This is interesting. The last temple that Solomon built was destroyed, many of you know from your history lessons, in 70 A.D. The area that he built around this temple area had courts that he called to distinguish for certain areas for certain groups. The innermost court was called the court of priests, and this was only for the male members of the priestly tribe of Levi. And then out from that was a court called the court of Israel. This was only for the male members of the Jewish race. And then out from that was one called the court of women, which was just for the Jewish women. But then you walked down 14 steps. At least there was a little something they were trying to do in having those three main courts at the top to give some semblance of equality among the men and women of the Jewish race. But then you had to go all the way down these steps. And at the top step was this five-foot wall. And archaeologists, there's fascinating studies that are happening. It's a book by Eric Metaxas that talks about the archaeological finds that should be just being poured into our news. It's crazy. One thing they're discovering after another in archaeological digs right now. Anyway, they found this sign that sat on the five-foot wall that was atop the 14th step. Here's what the sign says. No man of another race is to proceed within the partition and enclosing wall about the sanctuary. Anyone arrested there will have himself to blame for the penalty of death, which will be imposed as a consequence. And I'll add my own parentheses. Everybody have a fine day and enjoy the Lord and worship today. <laughs> you imagine? So at this bottom step was the area for everyone else. And Paul actually calls this a dividing wall of hostility. I think he was referencing that specific wall, not only the symbolic wall that existed between the Jews and all the other people. The cross of Christ destroys all dividing barriers and it abolishes law, commandments, and regulations. One of the most significant, significant aspects of the law is it shows us how unlike God we really are. It's one of the cool things in our readings right now. Before Jesus, the only approach any of us had to God was through this law. And that's why we've kind of been trudging through Leviticus and Numbers in our Bible reading. And we see all of this ritual cleansing and these many purity observances and all the sacrifice details and that make, you know, we're not wanting just to skip over the stuff. We're wanting to see what God was trying to say to his people. And I think we're starting to understand that the law could never make us acceptable to God because it shows us that not only can we keep it, can we not keep it? We can't fulfill it. How far we really are from God becomes apparent when we really start looking at the law. So before Jesus, there was no approaching God as father and friend. In fact, the Hebrew writer explains, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may find mercy, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
There was none of that before Jesus. And all one guy went in once a year, and even then a little rope was hung on to him in case he died, and they'd have to drag him out. There's no approach there. The cross of Christ abolished all of those endless, impossible commandments and regulations in just approaching God. And the cross of Christ reconciles all divided people groups. Jews and Gentiles can be brought together. Razorbacks and Jayhawks can get along. It's so, it's so easy to be nice when you win. Have you noticed that? Oh, those Jayhawks, bless their hearts. Good people, those Jayhawks. You know the person I'm talking about in your life right now, you and you know who, that you struggle with. Find common ground to stand on at the cross. You can actually be kind to one. Jim, you don't have any idea what they did. I'm telling you, the cross of Christ can actually make you civil. Yancey has a great piece on this. In Christianity Today, years ago, he published an article about a conversation he had with a pastor out of India. And the pastor from India said, most of what happens in our Christian churches can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations, but in my area, only the Christian church strives, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. That's the real miracle. Yancey says, diversity complicates rather than simplifies life. Perhaps for this reason, we tend to surround ourselves with people of similar age, economic class, and opinion. Church, on the other hand, offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executive immigrants and blue bloods can all come together. Yancey said that he was sandwiched between an elderly man hooked up to a puffing oxygen tank and a breastfeeding baby who grunted loudly and contentedly throughout the sermon. Where else but church can you find a gathering like that? We don't, there's no other group that brings people together like that. At least willing to sit by one another. It's one of the thrills about church. We're, tr we're trying to bring together all of these different ages and groupings. And well, Jamal, doesn't church get messy? Well, of course it gets messy. It gets messy all the time. Well, this person said thus and such, and this person heard this and so. And do, aren't there a lot of riffs? Aren't there? Well, yeah. But it's church. We come together. It's rich and it's beautiful especially when we learn through Jesus and the cross how we can accept one another in spite of our differences. The cross reconciles all divided people groups. And the message changed. That Jesus ended up changing the message. The cross of Christ has a new message from the chosen nation to now it's a peaceful humanity. It's a new, it's a new word. In verse 14, we read, Jesus is our peace. And in verse 15, it talks about making one man out of the two, thus making peace. I haven't read you verse, 14, verse 17 yet. Look at verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. It's now one nation under God spreading peace. 
So when Jesus came, he came in peace. Remember the Charlie Brown Christmas special and Linus stands center stage and he quotes the scripture. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That was announced at Jesus' birth. And then right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he gives this word, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The cross of Christ changed the message from this exclusive chosen nation to an inclusive people of peace. Sandra McCracken, in her book, We Really Are On The Same Team, has this great quote. Look at the screens. Let's open up our echo chambers and build bridges instead of moats. Let's finish. Let's, let, let's listen for the still, small voice of the Spirit and attend to what He may ask of us. These are heavy times, but there's kingdom work to be done. So I have to ask myself, are the things that divide us more significant than the grace that unites us? Is my agenda more important than my relationship? Is still holding to my convictions and staying connected to someone who has different convictions possible? And the, Paul, and the Apostle Paul through the century says, of course it's possible. That's what the cross of Christ means. Doesn't the cross of Christ draw all people together in peace? Absolutely resoundingly, yes. Yes and again, yes. Rita Snowden tells a story about some French soldiers who were bringing in the body of a fallen comrade to a church cemetery to be buried. And the priest asked them gently if this fallen man that they were carrying, if he was a baptized member of the Roman Catholic Church. And the soldiers carrying him said, Father, we, we don't actually know. It, it never came up. We were fighting together all the time, and we, we don't know if he was a member of the Roman Catholic Church. And then the priest, with sorrow in his heart and much sensitivity, just said, I, I can't permit him to be buried in the, in the churchyard cemetery. I'm so sorry. And of course, the soldiers were gracious. Okay, okay. So they ended up burying him outside of the fenced-in area of the cemetery. So the next morning, the soldiers came to visit the burial site of their comrade one more time. And they looked around and they, they couldn't find the fresh dirt and the fresh grave. They looked and looked and Finally, they were about to take off, and they were bewildered, and the priest came up. And they looked, and they said, well, we can't find where we buried him. And the priest said, you know, my heart was troubled all night with the decision that I had made, and I just couldn't sleep. So during the night, I went and moved the fence row. Your friend's burial was right inside. That's the cross of Christ. It changes the way we do things. Where your culture wants to put everybody in categories and mark everybody out, the cross of Christ just goes through that. It just goes through it. And we say, no, it changes now. We realize that the blood of Christ makes our blood one. We have one blood. 
And as our praises go up, the walls come down. They sure enough do. Father, our country loves its categories. And our country loves its labels. And our country loves to segment, line off, boundary in, boundary out. And let us as your people never be caught up in that silliness, especially in light of what you said. Because if you are lifted up, all people of all races will be drawn to you in peace. Father, we want to affirm that as we sing this song to you. Hear our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, church, let's stand. Let's sing.